right. We are going to be in Luke again this morning, continuing our Luke Rewind series. So you can start turning to Luke 6 with me this morning. If you've been paying attention, uh, you've maybe been counting down the days to Christmas by what chapter in Luke we are. So if you know, uh, the first few chapters of Luke kind of record those first couple years of Jesus' life. And so if we're in chapter 6 of the Gospel of Luke, we are getting close. So I don't know if you've felt the pressure yet, or maybe you went to Murdoch's yesterday and were one of the crazy people in the crowd looking at the reindeer. It was a madhouse. I think any of our stores right now are crazy. So uh, good luck if you don't have your shopping done yet. You will have to beat off the crowds uh, with a bat or something or uh, just try to find your way around that. Um, but uh, Christmas is drawing close. In fact, less than 10 days, 9 days from today. So uh, I hope you're ready. Um, I always try to prepare my heart. I, I love and hate Christmas because of the baggage a little bit, but I also love what we do celebrate. But there's definitely a lot of baggage. So my aim has been in this series to help us focus and think about in a kind of reverse Advent way to, to prepare our hearts for the coming of Jesus. So we're really kind of flying along here and uh, uh, just on the doorstep of Christmas in a way. But I'm really praying that like, like me as I'm preparing these sermons that you're uh, getting that better understanding of who Christ is. That when we come to Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, we can reflect and have this, this, this tapestry of who He is and it'll cause our hearts to worship even more. That when we gaze on this baby in a manger, that it will help our hearts to sing the glory of who he is. So we're going to continue this morning. Again, we're going to be in Luke 6. But I think the point that we're going to see this morning, just to let you know where we're going, is that Jesus came to teach our hearts. That's what we're going to look at. Jesus came to teach our hearts. And I would also argue that by teaching our hearts, Christ heals our hearts. So as I was thinking about this week, I was thinking about some of those things that we learn that make life a whole lot easier, right? There's some things that when you discover it, you're like, man, how come I didn't know this like 10 years ago? Well, how come I didn't do it this way? I was thinking about splitting firewood, right? You've done it the old-fashioned way with an axe. Man, that can wear you out, especially if you have to split a whole bunch of cords of wood. My dad burns probably six or seven cords a, a winter. And, uh, man, if we had to split that all uh, by hand, that would be a lot of work. I remember when I was a kid, I, I kind of thought it was fun to split wood. And then I grew up and I wised up. Learning to use a log splitter just totally changes your life. You know, learning to do something in an easier way or these things that if we did it for a while, we, we learn them and then it makes a whole world of difference. So here's what I'm going to argue this morning from this sixth chapter of Luke. This is what I think Luke is going to take us towards. Our hearts have questions. Our hearts are, are looking for certain things. What I want to say that Luke is saying is that the coming of Jesus answers all of our big questions. 
The coming of Jesus, this, this Jesus that's born on Christmas, is going to answer our big question. In, in, in other words, Jesus coming irons out everything that troubles us. And tapping into this part of the Christmas story is crucial. So that's what we're going to look at this morning, how Jesus came and how tapping into, how learning certain things are going to iron everything out and make things make sense, make them simpler. So here's the scene. In, in Luke chapter 6, Jesus, again, is fairly new into his public ministry. In fact, he's just recently, if you look back a little bit, he's recently called the 12 disciples. And here he's beginning to preach one of several sermons that he preached. And if you know your Gospels, this is actually in parallel with the Sermon on the Mount. Now, scholars are a little bit uh, opposed on this. Some guys think that this is actually the Sermon on the Mount. Other guys think that this is the same sermon that Jesus just preached again. So either way, it's the same thing, but it's maybe a different perspective that Matthew records, so to say. And so here, this is a, a sermon that we've come to know as the Beatitudes. In Luke, it's actually called the Sermon on the Plain, or this flat spot that we'll read about here for a minute. But it, whether it's the Sermon on the Mount or a Sermon on the Flat Place, this, this detail isn't necessarily the most important thing. What we find is a group of sayings that are called these Beatitudes. And it's Jesus teaching our hearts. So with that, let's begin to read. We're going to be in Luke 6, starting in verse 17. Luke 6, starting in verse 17. Let's read the first few verses here. He went down with them and stood on a level place. That's why they call it the Sermon on the Plain, a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem and from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by evil spirits were cured and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. So as we're looking at this, a crowd has gathered, not just his disciples, but this crowd from all over, from different places. It's like if there was a crowd that gathered here in Helena from Townsend and from East Helena and from Boulder and, and all the surrounding communities had gathered up and were here to hear somebody preach. So this crowd has gathered. Just like any crowd, you can ask, what did they want? You see, this crowd wanted to hear Jesus preach, and they wanted to be healed by him. Even at this early stage in his ministry, the word had gotten out that he was not only a good preacher, but he was also doing this whole healing thing with a number of people. So with this, I, I think this scene tells us a few things. First of all, these people were hungry to hear. The word was getting out, the, the, in a sense it was going first century viral, and they had heard that Jesus was preaching some powerful truth. So these people were hungry to hear. But at the same time, it's clear that these people were also hungry to be healed. And Luke records for us that Jesus is doing both of those. He's healing and he's teaching. 
So I think right here we need to pause for just a minute before we get into the Beatitudes, before we take this any further. But Luke is making a powerful point. His point is this. The power of Jesus cannot be separated from the teaching of Jesus. The power of Jesus cannot be separated from the truth of Jesus. So if I take just a little bit of a rabbit trail, this isn't in my notes. To lay my cards on the table about healing, I think it does exist. But it's never separate from the Word of God. If healing happens, it's never separate from the Word of God. It's going to point to His glory, His truth, His power, who He is. And He heals. But they're never separate. I think Luke's making that point. He's teaching truth and he's healing, but they're connected. And so we see that here as Luke kind of starts into this sermon on the plain. So as we're looking at this and we're thinking about the power of Jesus and the fact that it can't be separated from his truth, The same Jesus that teaches our hearts is the same Jesus that heals our ailments. And he heals our hearts. The same Lord who provides truth for our hearts is the same Lord that calls us to follow him and to depend on him with our lives. So the same teaching, preaching Jesus here is the same Jesus that's going to have power in our hearts and our lives. Jesus never healed someone without healing their hearts as well. Jesus never just healed someone to heal them. Jesus healed people to draw them to him. So as we're looking at that, that's what these people are expecting. That's why they're learning. I think this takes us to our first takeaway this morning. As we're looking at this passage, and before we even get into these beatitudes, these blesseds are, We see that our first point is we need to be hungry for what God is trying to teach us. We need to be hungry for what God is trying to teach us. And as we're powerless, as Romans 5, 8 says, it says, you see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. So just as we need to be hungry for what he's trying to teach us, we need to be hungry for his power. Like these people that are showing up, we need to be hungry for that. So I think our hearts want to know. We want to be taught. We we want the answers. So we need to be like this crowd coming to Jesus. As I think about that, have you ever been left out of the loop? Has there ever been a group that is talking about something? It's funny with uh, with 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 Facebook and our social media today, I don't know if your family is like mine and, and my family is all over the country, but we have a, a, a Facebook chat group and we're all on there. But it's funny, even in this Facebook chat group, I'll wake up sometimes or I'll, I'll pick it up and I'll notice I'm like 20, 20 conversations behind. I'm out of the loop and I'm like, what are, what are we talking about? What is, where is this? I have three siblings and my my, my parents are on that, my sister-in-law, now my new uh, soon-to-be brother-in-law. We're all on there, and, and you can get easily lost in the conversation. You can get out of the loop. Or there's been times like maybe on the playground or, or, or around coworkers, you walk up and you realize they're talking about you or something that you want to know about. See, I think our hearts, we want to know. We want to be in the loop. We want to to be part of the conversation. We hate when we're left behind and, and where things 
are going. My gut this morning tells me that you want to know, that you want to be let in on the secret. We're hungry for the answers. Let me show you how I kind of get us at that. Let's read a little bit more in this passage here for a minute. Starting in verse 20, looking at the disciples, he said, so he starts into his sermon, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. 23, rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven for that is how their fathers treated the prophets. Luke continues in Jesus' words, but woe to you who are rich for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you for that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. So we're going to dig into this a little bit more in just a minute, but I want to make a point even right here as we're reading those things. Here's how I know your heart wants to know. You probably just read this list and we're asking yourself, where am I? Am I on this good side of the list? Am I part of this blessed side? Or am I on this woe side? Or you might be sitting there thinking, oh, I'm certainly, I think I, I'm pretty sure I'm on that blessed side. Or you're hoping, I'm just, I hope I'm not on that woe side. At the same time, even if you haven't thought to it that extent, you just did, but even without thinking it to that extent, you read this and you're like, wow, these are some tough words from Jesus. I said this before, but Jesus is coming right after our hearts. These blessings and these woes. So I think this points to the fact that our heart wants to know. What is Jesus saying right here? What is he saying to us about these blessings and these woes? And if he's saying something, what is he saying about me? You want that answer. It draws you in to what's going on here. We want this to be explained. Now, at the same time, we're looking at these people and we're starting to see this sermon of Jesus and you're sitting there asking these questions. You might be asking yourself, how do I grow my hunger for Jesus and what he has for my life? When I was starting to think about this and as we're looking at this sermon and and we're questioning, wondering, what side am I on? What is Jesus telling me right here? It's like looking in the fridge. I think this starts to answer what we do with this. Have you ever looked in the fridge for like that lasagna that's really good the second or third day? Anybody like lasagna the second or third? It's always better the second or third day. It's kind of all mixed together, all the flavors. Man, lasagna is always good as a leftover. But you're, you open up, if you're like my house or like when I was growing up, you open it up and you think, man, that lasagna is going to be right in the front. And you don't see it. So what do you do? You settle for ramen or a ham sandwich or something. Right? Would you rather, I mean, maybe you love ramen. Maybe you love ham sandwiches. I don't know. But if it's me, I want the lasagna. And it's not in the fridge. So I eat that ramen. 
never as satisfying. And sure enough, like an hour later, Courtney will come into the family room to watch a, a show, and she's got a plate full of lasagna. You're like, where was that lasagna? Oh, it was behind the milk. You look into the fridge and you don't see what you're looking for because it's back hidden behind there. You, you don't understand that it's in there and you're missing it the whole time. What I'm getting at as we start to dig into this passage and what Jesus is preaching to us is just like looking into the fridge and not seeing something that's in the back there. We're so focused on everything else. You see, look into the fridge and you, you see the milk. You might see the orange juice and the eggs and the cheese. You see everything else except the lasagna that you want to eat. And you're seeing all of these things, but just not the right thing. I think that's kind of what Jesus is getting at. You're, you're wondering, how does this apply to me? You're asking the question of this text. But Jesus is saying we sometimes miss it. We're so focused on everything else that, that, that we sometimes think we're hungry for that we miss the goodness and the power of who Jesus is. But here's our hope. We can ask God for help in this. This is all over Scripture. Sometimes we're looking for the wrong things or think we're hungry for the wrong things or settle for the wrong things and we miss the goodness of Jesus that's in there. And this is all over Scripture and the fact that we can ask Him for help in finding His truth. See, we can be like these people expectant of both God's truth and, the, and His healing for our lives. I think another way to kind of explain this is the gravity of somebody that you love. I think sometimes we miss how important somebody is until they're not there. This happens in a lot of ways. Like when you're young and you're dating, they say absence makes the heart grow fonder, right? So if you really love someone, like, and you, and you happen to live in different parts of the country, Courtney and I were, were halfway across the country for a while, and that's when we really started discovering we loved each other. That absence, the gravity of them being with you. Or like when you have kids, it's funny, as much as I want to pull my hair out, when my kids aren't home for a couple days, man, I miss them. I said this a lot, I'm a big softy now that I've had kids. But that gravity of them being there, it isn't, when they're not there, I miss them. Or, or a negative way is when somebody you love passes away. After they pass, you're thinking in your mind all of the things you should have said to them, all the ways you should have showed your appreciation, all the ways that you wish you could have said you loved them, the gravity of the person being there or the lack thereof. I think sometimes what we're getting at, what we're seeing in this is sometimes we miss the gravity of who Jesus is and why he came. We miss the gravity of how much he loves us and how much he's done for us. That's why we're looking in the fridge and we settle for the ramen. It's because we're looking for the wrong things or we, we, we get sidetracked by things that are okay or good for us but not best for us. 
We have to consider the gravity of Jesus and what he's done for us. That's how I think we grow our hunger for him. That's how we read these things and we're wanting those questions answered. And that's how we become hungry like these people coming to hear Jesus this day. We've got to grasp his gravity. From here we continue in our passage. Here's where I think things really start to gain traction. It's not enough just to know we have to walk towards Jesus. So it's not enough just to know the facts or to be hearing the truth of Jesus, but we need to walk towards him. We need to pursue his truth and his power. We need to come after him. So looking at verses 20 through 26, again, we're going to unpack these just a little bit more. And when we look at this, we have to see it for the reality that it is. So when Jesus preaches something like this, we have to have this understanding. These are not suggestions. This isn't hopeful. It isn't Jesus saying, well, I hope that the the poor in spirit are blessed. It's not a suggestion. When Jesus preaches about the kingdom of God, it's the way that it is. It's the truth. It's not the best case scenario. It is what it is. He's stating the way things are. He's saying in my kingdom, this is how it is. And as we read this, it's hard to swallow. I think sometimes we read it and we find ourselves on the wrong side of the list. We feel like we're in the wrong place. Or we read it and we're like, I'm supposed to be poor to follow Jesus? Or we might ask, is wealth bad? But that's where we need to unpack this just a little bit. Look at verse 20 again with me. He starts his sermon. He says, blessed are you who are poor. For yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are poor. Matthew even includes the statement, blessed are you who are poor in spirit. Here's the cool thing about this. This is a parallel of points. Look at verse 24. So we just said, blessed are you who are poor, verse 24. But woe to you who are rich, for you already received your comfort. So as we start to unpack this a little bit more and using a little bit of that help from Matthew, he's, Luke here is talking about, through the words of Jesus, talking about more than just poverty and wealth. He's getting at more than just how much you possess financially. In a way, Jesus is saying, blessed are you who know that you bring nothing to the table of merit. Blessed are you who who know that no matter how much money you bring to the table, it's not going to make you better with me. So it's more than just poverty and wealth. He's talking about our hearts. Again, Jesus gets right after our hearts. He says, blessed are you who know that you bring nothing to the table of worth. But blessed or woe to you who think you have something to add to Christ's worth. That's what he's saying. Again, as we continue in this, look at verse 21. He compares, continues to use this parallel comparison. 21, he says, Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. At first read, it's like, well, if I'm hungry, then I'm more righteous. And people have used this in the past to say, well, if I just don't ever feed myself, then I'm closer to God. That's crazy. 
Teenagers would be the holiest people we know if that were the case. They're always hungry. But again, there's so much more at work here. Verse 21 is in comparison to verse 25. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Same way with the last part of that. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Jesus isn't saying never laugh. That's been part of Christianity in the past. In fact, that's what they told monks. You've got to keep a straight face, and you're more holy. I mean, that's crazy. There's so much more at play in this contrast, so much more about our hearts than just wealth and poverty or smiling and not smiling. Again, it's more than just food here in verse 21. Jesus is saying, blessed are you that hunger for my truth. And woe to those who think you know it all already. We're saying, blessed are those who are upset when they rebel. The second part of verse 21, blessed are you who weep now for you will laugh. Blessed are you who are heartbroken about your estate in your own sin. And woe to those who put a front of happiness. Verse 22, he continues. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil and the clincher in all of this because of the Son of Man. Verse 26, parallel, woe to you when all men speak well of you, for that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. Blessed are those who know that they have nothing to boast in but Christ. You see, this isn't a, a call to mere poverty or weeping or just being hungry. It's also not just about condemning wealth or happiness. Look what Paul says in Philippians 3.8. He says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. What Jesus is getting at in this sermon is that the key to his kingdom is whether or not your heart treasures what he can offer. The key to the kingdom is whether or not you treasure what Christ has to offer. And we've tried it throughout history. That, that's where the, the monk movement came from, that we could do all of these things and consider ourselves blessed if we just put on a smug look and we're hungry all the time. Monks have even uh, hurt themselves because they feel like that would make them closer to Jesus. I don't think that's what Jesus is getting at. What Jesus is getting at is I want, he's saying, I want you to treasure me more than anything else. Or the contrary, if your heart treasures everything else, it will not go well. It won't go well for you if you seek these other things above Christ. So you will either desire life and hope and newness, or you'll be disappointed and discouraged and even death when you place your treasure in the wrong things. I think in this is our second point. Jesus addresses what our hearts long for. Jesus addresses, Jesus comes after what our hearts long for. And your heart, whether you acknowledge it or not, longs for what only Christ can give you. That's what our hearts want. They want what Christ 
can give us. And in him coming after our hearts, he doesn't leave things untouched. He doesn't leave things where they are. I think these Beatitudes answer the question, why follow Jesus? Sometimes you might ask that question, why follow Jesus? Because our hearts long for the goodness and the life and the purpose that's only found in him. So how do you get the questions answered from Jesus? How do you get those answers from him? We go towards him. You you see here we use that term, follow Jesus. We use that almost every Sunday. You see, following Christ is letting him teach your heart. I was thinking about it this week. What does my heart long for? What does your heart long for? My, my heart longs for healthy kids. Sickness has been going around in our house. My heart longs for healthy kids. This time of year, our heart longs to have enough money. We want money to be able to buy the presents or to, to have the bills to be paid. That's what our hearts long for. I bet our hearts long for long to be loved and accepted, to have hope. Maybe you're in a point in life where you're just waiting for things to get back to normal. That's what your heart wants, for things to be easier for a change. You ever feel like you can't catch a break or catch your breath? Or maybe you're sitting there and you're, you're wanting to overcome, your heart is longing to overcome whatever ailment or sickness or, or cancer or something in your life or your family. Jesus comes after those things. Jesus comes after those things, and he doesn't leave them untouched. As I think about this, I think about what is the worst that could happen? What's the worst that could happen? Out of all of these things, death is the worst thing that we could face. Now, as I was thinking about this week, I don't know if you follow the Christian subculture, but uh, earlier this fall, Toby Mac is an, uh, a Christian artist, but Toby Mac's uh, 18-year-old son passed away in the middle of the night. And I can't imagine the pain that you would feel if your son just passed in the middle of the night. But I was flipping through some of the stuff online on Thanksgiving morning, and I caught a quote from Toby Mac. And I think he captures this well. He's speaking about this passing of his son, but he said, we've been encouraging ourselves to stand on this. The place of death is actually where all that we believe is most significant, that God has the power to do what he promised, to defeat death and give life to anyone who believes. So from the valley of the shadow of death, we pray a flood of thankfulness will rise this week. Thankfulness to a God who is not afraid. The Father of the heavenly lights who shines most beautifully in the darkness and gives everything we need. Here's my point in this. We need to have this hunger for Christ and he will address the hardest things that we face in our heart. And sometimes we think of the gospel that the gospel is like this fire insurance that we just go to heaven because we're saved. And it's all about just getting to the point of heaven. No, the point of the gospel is that he's working things out right here and right now. The kingdom of God is an interesting thing because it comes to bear right now, but it also has a future reality. 
The point of the gospel is not only that he has a future glory and hope for those who follow him, but he addresses the hardest things, all of those answers that are in our heart right now. That's what Toby Mack was getting at. That even the deepest, darkest parts, Christ is there fighting on our behalf, defeating even death. And all those questions we have are just but a taste of what death is. The way that sin has impacted our lives and things don't go as smooth and we don't have enough for the bills and our kids get sick and someone is dealing with cancer. Jesus comes after those things and he addresses our heart in the middle of them. Finally, from here, we wrap up the passage with this. God's word will either be a blessing or a curse to you. God's word will either be a blessing or a curse to you. Another way I put it this week is God's word will be for some a celebration, for some an invitation, and for others it will be a verdict. It will be a judgment. You see, Jesus coming for us at Christmas answers everything, all the questions of our hearts. We're sitting here thinking, but how? Again, like I was saying, the power of his kingdom is already present. In some ways, the kingdom of God is like like a net, a fishing net. Now, I don't fish much with a net. I like to catch one fish at a time as many as I can back to bat, but I, I haven't spent a whole lot fishing with a net, but generally the way a net works is you get some weight, and you get that thing down in the water, and you try to drag that thing along and catch as many fish as you can. You can look this stuff up, up on YouTube and, and, and see just the multitude of fish that they can catch. But to me, I was thinking about it, and, and, and the kingdom of God is like a dragnet. Jesus is already and currently working, drawing people to him and trying to fix everything that sin has messed up. Right now, today, as we sit here in our community, in our world, he's like a dragnet trying to catch those who he can catch for his kingdom. He's trying to fix what sin has absolutely skewed. As we read these Beatitudes, these blessed R's, I think that's the point this morning. The point of these and, 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 and the point of the gospel is that his reality, the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of God is now. And he's working to reach people for his kingdom. And he's putting everything back to the way it's supposed to be. Let me push this in just a little bit. If it were not for Christmas, if it were not for Christ coming, if it weren't for the reality of his kingdom that we see in these beatitudes, we would be just left in agony. There wouldn't be any answers. But no, because of his gospel and him coming, everything now makes sense. Let me paint the picture a little bit. If it weren't for the gospel, your struggle learning to parent would be just that. Just a struggle. If it weren't for the gospel, trying to learn how to parent like Christ would would be just a struggle. There would be no more. If it were not for the gospel, your work in trying to reconcile relationships would just be selfish. 
Be self-focused. If it were not for the gospel, your desire to keep work and money in the right perspective would never make sense. In fact, if it weren't for the gospel, I don't think we would keep money in the right perspective. But the gospel fixes those things. It brings them back and brings them in light of who Jesus is. And we're seeking to have the answers of our hearts found. We're seeking to see the way that he's teaching our hearts. As for our raising our kids and the struggle that it is to, to learn from Christ and our parents, parenting is to honestly say, you know what? I'm not great at this. I don't have this figured out. I don't know if you're a parent and you're like me and you've messed something up before. Thankfully, kids are resilient. But the gospel tells us that when we say, I'm not okay, Christ is working in me. And he's drawing me to him. And he's drawing my kids to him. That's what the gospel does. We're not left in agony of the struggle of trying to raise kids or to learn from Christ in a relationship says, I am selfish. I am a sinner to other people. But then we realize that Christ died for me. He was unselfish. He gave everything for me. And he fixes how we reconcile and why we reconcile with other people. And to learn from Christ in our work and our money, we get the perspective, I take nothing with me. But what I do have is all for his glory. I'd even say that's the crux of this sermons on these beatitudes. Everything for his glory. My kids, my relationship, my house, my finances, everything I have for his glory. That's how the gospel switches from the agony and pointlessness of things to the purpose and the way that he's working out everything and how he's redeeming the things that we have answers or questions about. So as I start to wrap this up, I want to finish with 2 Corinthians 4.17. As we're thinking about these things that we go through in, in life and, 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 and where he's growing us in his gospel, I like what Paul says here. And again, a guy that took a long time to figure it out. And a guy that didn't have a perfect life just because he followed Jesus. But he says in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18, Therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are be, being renewed day by day. That's the hope for us. That, that no matter what sin is trying to mess up, when we follow him, there's renewal and redemption day by day. Verse 17, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. The gospel's doing that. Verse 18, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So when we look at this sermon from Christ on the plain or on the hill, wherever he's at, he's saying these things about the reality of the kingdom. 
And what he's doing in these blessings and woes, he's saying, what are your eyes fixed upon? Are they fixed upon all the wrong things or are they fixed upon my glory and who I am and what I'm doing through my gospel? That's the call that we have from this passage today. So as I conclude, I ask that everybody would just bow their heads and close their eyes.